Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today, we are honestly going to have the most fascinating conversation with Dr. Heather Moday, who is a board-certified allergist and immunologist, as well as being an integrative and functional medicine physician. That is a mouthful. I now need to take a breath. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Moday wrote The Immunotype Breakthrough, Your Personal Plan to Balance Your Immune System, Optimize Health, and Build Lifelong Resilience. And we had a fascinating conversation with her about the different type, different immunotypes that she has created, smoldering, weak, hyperactive, misguided, how we can build our immune resilience, what we need to focus on in our lifestyle, Yeah, the whole, you know, we've been inundated with commercials about boosting your immune system. And she talked about the importance of balancing your immune system rather than just boosting. And, you know, she touches on times when it is very important to boost your immune system, but it is so important to balance it. And just the the whole problem with inflammation, that just, you know, we just started hearing about how inflammation is such a problem. It's everywhere now. Yes, it is, and you don't realize that 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 so much damage can stem from inflammatory things happening in your body. I, I thought that was so fascinating in her book. Right. And, and what's helpful. what's good inflammation and what's bad inflammation? I right. thought was really important because everybody just has a negative. When you say inflammation, they're like, "Oh no, that's bad." Uh, Sometimes yeah. it's fights infection. You, you, yeah, you need it to come in those little cells to come in the white blood cells to fight. Those infections, or if you get an injury or something, they're going there to fight it. Talk about midlife women and your hormones and how the immune system factors into that. And really, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Your immune health right. is individualized. So this is really going to be a great conversation. Bridget and I are really excited as well because on October 19th, we are hosting, co-hosting, our first in-person event in New York City. It is called The Marvelous Mrs. Menopause. We are going to be having some incredible experts, guests. We have conversations on menopause misinformation, and we have conversations about pop culture. And when you remember the the narrative starting to change about midlife and menopause, it's going to be great. And we have cocktails and conversations. We're going to have lots of guests there. It is going to be at the One World Trade Center. The information you can get at Eventbrite. Or you can also get it on our website, hotflasheskooltopics.com. Mm-hmm. We are excited for the event. We hope to see you guys there. And since we are starting the Menopause Awareness Month in October, we thought this would be the perfect time. The fall would be the perfect weather. And our co-host, Care Beauty, would be the perfect people to host the event with us. So we hope that you have time in your busy schedules this fall to come join us on October 19th. It'll be from 5 to 8. And like I said, it's at One World Trade Center. So with that, we are going to start the conversation with Dr. Heather Moday. Enjoy it, and we will talk to you after. 
Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, I have been so excited to talk to Dr. Heather Moday. She is the author of The Immunotype Breakthrough, Your Personalized Plan to Balance Your Immune System, Optimize Health, and Build Lifelong Resilience. Welcome to the show, Dr. Moday. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, I saw your book in the bookstore and I thought, hmm, this for midlife women would be such a great read. And in reading it, I kept going, yes, okay. <laughs> I don't understand all of the T-cell killers and stuff, but, you know, I get this. And our listeners are 40 plus and we struggle with changes in our body, our hormones, inflammation. And I thought maybe we could start with talking about what the immune system obviously is there to protect us, but what it really does. And you don't really like to use the term boost immune system. You want to talk more about balancing. So I thought we could start there and see where it takes us. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, everyone has an immune system, so that's important. And it's really involved in just about every single organ and tissue in the body. So it doesn't really have one home. So, and, and that's important because it, it allows us to understand a little bit about why it affects almost every health problem that we have, or, you know, it affects our health, right? So when our immune system is not healthy or imbalanced, we can have a whole myriad of symptoms and health issues. And so it's, it's really important to understand what goes into um, having a healthy immune system, because if you want to live well and feel well and live for a long time, you have to put some of your focus there. You know, I always like to say like your immune system's everywhere, but nowhere. <laughs> it, um, it doesn't stick to one organ. It's, um, you know, a, a bunch of different cells that have numerous tasks and they also communicate with each other through all these different chemical messengers. And so, you know, really sort of float around the body. They're in tissue, they're in the bloodstream, they're the lymphatics, they're in our gut. I would say that that is, you know, sort of like a very basic overview. And you're exactly right that one of the big things our immune system does is that it protects us both from harmful like invaders from the outside. So most people think about viruses, parasites, um, of course, bacteria um, and things like that. But it also reacts to things like chemicals, toxins, and also, you know, sort of uh, surveils the cells to make sure we're not uh, developing cancerous cells involved in cleaning up our brain. So we actually have cells in our brain um, that are called microglial cells that sort of clean up debris in our brain. And this is important when you think of aging and Alzheimer's disease, dementia. It's involved in bone growth and breakdown. So if you think of things like osteoporosis, remodeling of the bone, that involves um, certain parts of our immune system. So really it has, it does a lot more than just kill things. And, you know, I love on your website how you can take the quiz, your immunotype oh, quiz. Yeah. And I found that I was, I was smoldering. Mm -hmm. so, really, yeah. Bridget, you're smoldering. Yes. I'm smoldering. Maybe we the, could start with like explaining what those four yeah, can you type. I work um, in functional medicine, integrative medicine, and I have a small practice. You know, a lot of people come to me with, you know, everything from hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, a lot of autoimmune disease, allergies, et cetera. And people would come and say, you know, you know, is there something wrong with my immune system? Is it, is it weak? Do I have to boost it? Like what, 
does, you know, or if I have this autoimmune disease, does it mean I have a weak immune system, et cetera, et cetera. And really when I started thinking about this concept of, you know, sort of two dimensional, like weak, strong, I realized that that's not, it's, it doesn't make any sense because our immune system is multidimensional and you could have a very strong immune system in terms of being able to fight off invaders, but you could still have an autoimmune disease, right? You could still have a strong immune system and have allergies. So it's this concept of, of uh, weak and strong is not really appropriate. Um, it's more about balance. So I um, created this, this concept of this model of an immunotype. And your immunotype can change, right, throughout, throughout life and, and your behaviors and what happens to you. But essentially, this is driven by, um, uh, you know, where you are at this time. So there are people who are, there's four, and these are all what I call imbalanced, okay? <laughs> so if you don't have any imbalances, then you do not, you're perfectly balanced, okay? So we didn't talk about that because that's boring, right? Um, um, <laughs> and at some point in your life, you always become a little imbalanced. So you have smoldering. So smoldering... Smoldering are people who tend to um, have a little bit more inflammation, okay? Everyone has inflammation that turns on and off throughout the day and week because that's what that's how our immune system works. It gets rid of things that way and kills things. But inflammation can be damaging, right? If it's chronic and sort of low level. And so this concept of smoldering. So some people have sort of a smoldering inflammation. It's either not turning off, it's not resolving, or it's a little excessive, and this can manifest in things like arthritis, diabetes can be a part of this, or obesity, or cardiovascular disease, brain fog, anything you think of that's sort of inflamed and not getting turned off. Secondly is um, the misguided immunotype. So misguided obviously means that it's, it's, um, it's going after the wrong target. But specifically in the misguided immunotype, um, people will have antibodies and cells like T cells, et cetera, that are targeted towards their own tissue. And this is sort of like a, um, a very basic law in immunology that our bodies learn when we're little babies, not to turn on ourselves. We call that tolerance. We learn to tolerate our own tissue because if we didn't have, you know, immune tolerance, we'd be destroying our bodies. Right. But what happens is sometimes because of genetics, sometimes because of stress, toxins, infections, or whatever, whatever, we can develop some autoimmunity, some antibodies that attack things like thyroid tissue, which is really common in women. Um, women tend to have more autoimmune diseases than men. It's more common. So this is a bigger issue for women. But you know, things like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, multiple sclerosis, these are all autoimmune disorders. So that's a misguided immunotype. And then there are people who have a hyperactive immunotype. So you're not attacking your own tissue, right? You're having a hyperactive response, sort of like a smoldering, but it may not be chronic. And it's going after things that are harmful, not harmful outside the body. So these are the allergic types. These are people who have um, an overabundance of antibodies against things like foods, they have food allergies, they're allergic to pollen and dust and cats and dogs. They might get hives. Um, they have asthma, maybe like all of this sort of cluster of allergic problems. And when you look, you know, in their, if you look at their biochemistry, they actually create different cells. They actually have things that are called mast cells that are really overactive. They make lots of histamine. Everyone sort of knows what histamine is, it makes you itchy, right? 
Um, they secrete a lot of histamine. They have different antibodies that are elevated. So that's a that's the hyperactive immunotype. And then last but not least is the weak immunotype. So this is really the only immunotype that can really benefit from a lot of boosting because these individuals may actually have a sort of a sluggish response to things like viruses, bacteria, parasites, et cetera. They may not be really great at even identifying cancer cells. So these people tend to have frequent illness. They get sick more frequently, more easily. Their illnesses last longer. They may not react as well to vaccines. So their antibody response is sort of sluggish. They may have a tendency to get like lots of breakouts of cold sores, things that are like uh, driven by viruses. So that is really the only immunotype that's a, that really should be boosted. Um, the other ones really just need to be balanced. You know, you see this in the news now. Boost your, you know, immunity, immunity mm -hmm. boosters. And you talk about that in your book about really it should be balanced. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, not that you're going to do uh, a lot of terrible things by taking, let's just say, you know, vitamin C or, or things like that. But there are some, you know, maybe some issues with if you're really trying to um, use some, certain things like medicinal mushrooms or elderberry syrup. Some of these things can really boost what are called these cytokines, which are, they're actually pro-inflammatory. So they're good if you're trying to fight like a flu, but if you're not, that's not really what you want. So but really, it's it's more that you're missing, um, if you're really trying to feel better or reverse a health problem, you know, just doing immunity boosting is not really what you should be looking at. You should be looking at how can I sort of calm down the areas, because actually most people are sort of too inflamed, right? So calm down inflammation, and then also maybe improve or boost the areas to make sure that you do have a robust response when you need it, Right. So, you know, it's, it's really sort of honing in on the behaviors and the inputs that are part of our daily lives that actually either help or hinder our immune system from doing its job well. We talk a lot about inflammation, and it's always kind of in a negative light. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that inflammation is not always a bad thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, you know, all of us get inflamed every single day. It's just, it's, it's actually, it is the process by which our immune system readies itself and, a, you know, sort of alerts itself to something that's dangerous. So every single day we're breathing in viruses, we're touching bacteria, we're putting it in our mouths. I mean, we don't live in a sterile environment, right? So our immune system constantly has to take that information, you know, billions and billions of pieces of information and decide what to do with it. There's always going to be something that, you know, there's going to be a recruitment of, of white blood cells to go and sort of like get rid of, right? You know, we're going to calm this down. We're going to kill this. We may not even notice it, right? It's sort of like when you, you might get sick, you know, for example, let's just say someone had COVID and they said, oh, I didn't feel anything. Well, they were actually infected with it, right? But they weren't even alerted because the symptoms were so, the inflammation response was so low but it was still there, right? So you can think of it that way. For example, if you if you uh, bruise, if you bang your elbow and you develop a bruise a couple of days later, you may not even think about it, but that's inflammation going on, right? So you have a damage to tissue and then you're gonna have this whole response of all these chemicals and cells to do repair. So all day long we get inflammation, but the thing is it should be resolved quickly, 
That's the whole key is that we want to have sort of like a very nice, neat, quick inflammatory response that gets turned off so we can move on through our life. Inflammation we need. If you didn't have a good immune response, like let's just say you were immune suppressed from chemotherapy or, you know, patients who are born with genetic um, um, immune deficiencies or say someone who has something like HIV, AIDS, they cannot actually create a good immune response. And so that is why they, they succumb to um, infections that most of us wouldn't even, even think about. So it is important to have a very good, rapid, robust immune response and inflammatory response, but you don't want things to get out of control, right? You don't want things to be smoldering <laughs> or excessive because then what happens is we develop diseases. Right. And then you also talk about things that we can do to help these situations, to help the inflammation response. Can you share, and I know sleep is right up there important on the list, but can you share some of the things that we can do to help with this inflammation response? Sure. You know, I mean, sleep is so crucial. I would say that, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think that's anything that people really talked about until a couple of years ago. Um, where it's gotten to be more in the news. I mean, people used to always focus a lot on nutrition and vitamins, which is important, but sleep is really crucial because not only does adequate sleep or more than adequate sleep improve our immune system, but when we even get like one, one and a half, two hour deficiencies um, throughout the week, that is actually quite a big stressor on our immune system. When we can, they've, they've actually done studies, and I talk about this in the book, that they've taken people sleep deprived them, not even terribly, you know, just maybe what some people would, would get do on a, you know, an all-nighter in college or, or, or maybe just staying up late with the baby. And they have given them vaccine, deprived them of sleep. And then measured their antibody response the next day or, or a couple of days later and compared it to other people who had a full eight hours of sleep. And there's something like a 50% decrease in antibody responses, meaning that you literally do not make protective antibodies against the vaccine if you're sleep deprived. So think about that with anything else, right? Anything else that your body's dealing with, you're going to have um, problems. And we do know also that people who work overnight or shift work, um, and people who have, you know, uh, issues with sleep do tend to have a, I mean, it's terrible to say, but a shorter lifespan and more diseases as they get older. You also mentioned with sleep that the best time, like the active resilience is mm-hmm. actually like around before midnight, before mm-hmm. one. Can you talk about that? And that has a lot to do with hormones. And you've probably talked with people about cortisol before, which is um, our major stress hormone. So what people don't realize is that cortisol is very um, integral to our circadian rhythm, meaning like, you know, the, the, the patterns of, of uh, light and dark and, and the rhythms, the 24-hour clock that basically our bodies work on. Cortisol is at its highest in the morning and it should be. And then as we get to, you know, later on in the evening hours, nine o'clock or so, really should be decreasing. And it should be at its lowest around hmm, one to two o'clock in the morning, then it starts to go up again. At the same time, another hormone called melatonin 
is going to be low during the day and it's going to start increasing, you know, in the late afternoon, early evening, and it's going to peak around one to two o'clock in the morning, and then it's going to go down. So these are really important for the immune system because cortisol is actually anti-inflammatory when it's acutely and melatonin is pro-inflammatory at night. And what that means is that it's immune activating. So high levels of melatonin, which is directed by darkness and lack of light, and it's highest when we sleep, should be highest around maybe midnight, one o'clock, things like that. And if we have been up until midnight looking at a screen or looking at you know anything, TV, even just working with the lights on, that will actually shut melatonin off. And we need adequate melatonin to have this really robust immune activity at night. We actually kill a lot of bacteria when we sleep. We have fevers at night mostly, not as much during the day. We do a lot of immune activity. So you're really shortchanging yourself if you're a night owl that sleep that goes to bed, you know, at one o'clock in the morning. You're missing this really crucial um, couple of hours. So my recommendation is really to try to get to bed uh, at least before like 11 o'clock, um, ideally 10. But um, and then, of course, try to get between seven, like around seven and a half hours of sleep. I was laughing because, Colleen, that is just a common knowledge around our group of friends is 10 o'clock. She is shutting down. And yeah. if you are around her, you can see her eyelids <laughs> like like a blind going yeah. down. And it's like, yeah. she's done. Go. I'm but all it, done. It really, it's, and, and that is so I'm important. the same way. And also, it's so hard. I know a lot of women, we hear for so many listeners that that is a big problem during menopause is trying yeah. to get yeah. to sleep. And you also include a lot of helpful just things that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind sharing, like just what to do in your, your room or wherever you're sleeping, sure. things yeah. to do in your room. So one of the really important things for perimenopause and menopause is temperature, as we know. So because of the fluctuations in hormones, you're going to get a lot of increase in what's called vasomotor activity, basically, right? So hot flashes, night sweats, things like that. So as much as you possibly can, and this is hard if you live in the South or if you live in a really hot climate, you want to keep your room as cold as possible because we actually sleep much better in a cold room. And this is why you'll see there's this proliferation of, um, you know, sort of like cooling pads that people can use. And actually, although some of them are quite pricey, I think there's one that's called the chili pad they might be a really good investment. I mean, if you are going to be, you know, for several years having issues with falling asleep because you're so hot, maybe you should gift yourself something like this. So keeping the room cool, maybe using a cooling pad, but you also want to make sure if you're not already creating like a, um, you know, your, your bedroom as your sanctuary, that is like number one, right? So if you've got electronics in the room, they have to go. If you have LED lights that are like lighting up your room, you have to put some black electrical tape on them or get them out. Because I know now it's so hard if you have a modem in the room or you know, you've know you got a, a charger for your phone, they all have lights on them. So making sure that none of those lights are there. And then also making sure that if you do have to work um, or do something on a screen that you wear some blue light blocking glasses. And I mean the real ones with the amber lenses, they're very easy to find. They're inexpensive. Wear those when you're working. Um, 
you can put light bulbs now. I have one in my bedside table, um, which uh, blocks all of the blue light. Um, and I don't use any screens. I only read paper books. Some sort of old fashioned that way. Um, so that's another thing to do is really get rid of that blue light. And then, you know, you want to have like some little routine. It doesn't have to be something exorbitant, like give yourself 20 minutes, a half an hour, do some stretches, listen to a meditation, um, do your own little body scan. Um, you know, you sort of figure out what works for you and, and do that. Um, and then some people like to have to, they, you know, use things and there are, if you tend to have anxiety, there are some things that you can use that are beneficial. And I, I talk about those and those can be adaptogens, um, certain herbal teas. Um, some people do really well with things like, you know, CBD, uh, valerian. Um, there's so many um, things that I talk about in the book that you can use. So it's really, it's like creating a whole, um, you know, protection around your sleep. Like it's really, really important. You mentioned, you know, how stress can affect sleep, but it for midlife women, for everybody, but especially midlife women, stress can be so exacerbated with the time of life. You're in the sandwich generation. Maybe your career is resolving itself. Maybe you want to start something new, mm -hmm. but that stress is ever present in your body. Mm -hmm. How does that affect your immune system? Um, well, it affects it tremendously. So there's a the whole stress response, right, that we have, whether it's acute or chronic, um, causes release of different hormones. So it's really the it, the stress is really acting on your brain, right? So it's a whether it's a perception. So some of us worry about stuff that it doesn't exist or is not going to happen, but we are we get caught in these worry loops. But some people are really dealing with ongoing reality, right? So it doesn't have to, it could be real or perceived, I always say. So that causes release of adrenaline. Um, adrenaline can actually cause anxiety just by increasing your heart rate and things like that. So that can sort of keep you awake. And then the cortisol, as I said, is, I said, it's sort of acutely anti-inflammatory, but over time when it becomes chronic, it actually flips. It's almost like a bell curve, right? Um, intermittent short bursts of, of stress is actually beneficial. We know it's sort of like saying you're going to go do some sprints or you're going to go do something exciting or something challenging. Um, we call that a hormetic stress or something that's healthy. It makes us actually more resilient. But if we have ongoing day in and day out sort of stress, it actually changes the way cortisol works on our cells. And what that does is it not only creates sort of more of an inflammatory response, but at the same time, it can lower the production of antibodies and um, the production of different kinds of immune cells. So it also makes us a little immune suppressed. So it can weaken our immune system. So you know, most people will be able to recall a time in their life that they were so stressed for a period of time and then they got sick, right? We see this pattern in clinical medicine all the time. And so what can you do about that, right? So obviously if you're in a stressful situation that you have no control over, the only thing you can do is you can use different, you know, practices to try and change or get in the way of that physiologic response. And probably the best thing is through breath work, breath techniques, because it's the fastest. You can actually change your whole, what's called autonomic system. 
uh, which is part of this whole stress response by doing different kinds of deep breathing. Um, and there's lots of information about this, you know, online, people have written about it. So getting into a breathwork practice, because that's something you can do wherever you can do it in the car, you can do it at home, work, whatever. Um, meditation is great. I understand some people don't like to do meditation, but I think a lot of times they just haven't given it enough a chance. Um, and also they haven't tried enough different kinds. Um, so that's another one. And then really sort of cognitive behavioral therapy. You can do that really on your own. Um, really just sort of reassessing your fears, reassessing your concerns, your worrying worries, asking yourself, is this real? Like, do I need to be having this physical response to this thing that I, it, it doesn't even exist in my life? So, you know, I think there's a lot around that, especially in midlife, as you said, because yeah, sometimes you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I was laid off from my job or I hate my job or the kids are gone and I don't know what my, you know, what I should be doing now. So I think that a lot of it is, is giving yourself that time to, to reassess and question your thoughts because our thoughts just sort of sometimes take over. For people who are getting a little bit older, we are focused so much on, okay, what vitamins should we take? We'd be taking mm -hmm. now all of a sudden our gut is having problems. Mm -hmm. What do we really need to focus on to keep our immune system strong as we get older? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone should consider taking vitamins until they've addressed their diet. There's just no point. Unless for some reason you're like acutely ill and you need, you know, an infusion of vitamin C and you really, or your vitamin D is very, very low and you want to take that. Actually, that, that would be sort of my one caveat is vitamin D. So first thing is you want to look at your diet and you want to be really honest with yourself and I really recommend people work with dietitians and nutritionists because we're very nearsighted when it comes to our own nutritional needs. And if you really sit down with a good nutritionist and they go through and they tell you like, okay, you're not getting even half the fiber you should be getting. And yeah, that healthy meal you think is so healthy is like, you know, 40% sugar. <laughs> you, know, you, you sort of go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this, right? So that's what we want to focus on first. You want to focus on what you're putting in your body. So fiber is so important for women and men, but very important for women. Um, extremely important for the health of our microbiome, which is crucial for a good immune system. So focus on fiber, focus on good amounts, you know, the macronutrients, your proteins, healthy fats. You want to get rid of all the horrible inflammatory fats. And then carbs are wonderful. Everybody needs carbohydrates but they need to come from good sources. You don't want to be eating the junk carbs, right? Um, so you want to get lots of brightly covered, colored fruits and vegetables. Those are all carbohydrate foods with fiber in them, right? So, and the reason is because they have something called polyphenols. Polyphenols are pigments, these chemical pigments that are found in all fruits and vegetables. And there's different ones depending on the food you're eating, but most of them are antioxidants, meaning that they put out fires, in our body, they gobble up free radicals, which end up doing damage to our DNA. So that's the first thing is focus on, you know, nutrition diet. If I had, <clears throat> in terms of a supplement, like you said, if I had to pick one thing that I would recommend that most people take, most people get tested for it and take, and that would be vitamin D. And that's because vitamin D is actually a hormone 
that is created by the human body. It's not a vitamin per se that's found in a lot of foods. It comes from ultraviolet light, um, which hits a chemical in our skin and then gets through this crazy pathway involving our kidneys, becomes vitamin D. And vitamin D is a crucial, crucial antioxidant, but it also does more than that. It goes into the cell, it goes into our DNA. It can like turn genes on and off. And so we know that vitamin D is really important for the production of many, many, many immune cells. It can dampen inflammation for women, we know, of course, and for men, it's really important for bone structure too, and keeping our bones healthy, our skin healthy, um, et cetera, and even for depression and anxiety. So most of us don't get enough vitamin D naturally from the sun, um, and it's really hard to get from food. So that would be the one thing I recommend that most people take. And you know, you also talk about, well, you also talk about the biggest sources of inflammation, and I know sugar is a big one. And um, I was surprised that in your book, some of the things that maybe we were told we should do and now not so good, like I've, grapeseed oil was mentioned in your book as well. Can you talk about other sources of inflammation? And then you did mm -hmm. just mention also some sources to mm -hmm. fight that or things that we should eat, but can you talk about both of those? Yeah. So, you know, there's just a lot of controversy around fats in general. Um, so for the most part, if you're getting fat from a natural source that isn't farm, it isn't processed by chemicals, so converted uh, chemically, and is from a good natural source of an animal, then you're probably okay, Right. So for example, people say, well, should I have saturated fats? Saturated fats are an important part of our diet. Do you want to eat excess saturated fats? Probably not because it's just going to throw off the balance of fat in general. So especially if you do have some issues with say cholesterol um, or you know, you're just, maybe you're not getting other healthier fats. So saturated fats in small amounts are good. So these would be things from like beef and pork and um, and chicken, et cetera. But remember that all hormones and um, chemicals, pesticides, when they're treated and animals eat them, those end up in the fats. So you're going to get those. So if you're going to eat a lot of saturated fats from animals, you want to make sure that it's organic. Um, the ones that we know are anti-inflammatory, right? The anti-inflammatory fats are the omega-3 fats. And you can find omega-3 fats in, you know, different things. Like you can find them in walnuts, you can find them in flaxseed, but the largest amount come in fish, fatty fish. Um, and these are things like sardines, mackerel, salmon. Those are sort of the big ones. Um, and so this is why people take fish oil, right? Um, because it's very anti-inflammatory. Um, but also what people may not realize is that all of our cells Everything from our skin to our eyes, our heart or whatever, all the cells are actually made of a fat, like a, we call it a lipid layer. It's a, a, a fat lining, right? So you actually need good amounts of fats for healthy cells. And so it's really about the balance. Um, and in terms of other fats, there's monounsaturated fats, which are olive oil, which also we know um, is extremely um, healthy, very anti-inflammatory, very good for heart disease, et cetera, brain health. And then the other ones, the polyunsaturated, so the things you, know, I think you were talking about, um, uh, like canola oil, 
Um, again, those should be used in small amounts and you just want to make sure that they're not chemically processed. So they're usually the best ones to look for would be what are called expeller pressed. Um, these are also things that could be that should not be heated. So, you know, if you're going to have walnut oil, that's great in a, in a salad dressing, but you're not going to cook in walnut oil because it actually changes the configuration of the oil and makes it pro-inflammatory. So there's a lot with the oils, but I always tell people stick with um, olive oil um, and for sauteing and stick with um, organic animal fats, coconut oil and avocado oil for cooking. Those have a very high heat point. Um, and other than that, you just put, you know, you put your fats in to your macronutrients like you would, you know, with your proteins and your carbohydrates and you're usually okay. One of the debates, obviously, in the last couple of years has been about vaccines. Mm -hmm. And for people who are older or honestly for anyone, you know, some people will say, well, I would rather my body fight it, build my immune system mm -hmm. and have and the other and other people like, well, I would rather have. Bridge and I have had every vaccine they've handed out. What can you kind of talk about the different ideas and what what really we should be listening to? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the problems with the whole vaccine controversy is that we lump all vaccines into one pile, and really, that's not appropriate because, first of all, there are some diseases that are going to kill you right? It may kill you or deform you or, you know, pretty high uh, morbidity, mortality if you get it, right? So those are the ones that you may want to consider getting the vaccine for, okay? Um, but it's also your risk. Like, for example, they give, you know, children now um, hepatitis A, hepatitis B. Most of us never got hepatitis A vaccinations unless we traveled to a country it was endemic and we didn't get hepatitis B. I didn't get hepatitis B vaccine until I went to medical school at the age of 25 because they didn't give it when I was a child. And I needed that because I was going to be a doctor and I was going to be around blood. Right. So again, you have to look at what your risk factor is. Um, so do I think that every single vaccine is necessary for every single person? No. However, Let's just say you are a person who has some chronic illness that, and, and this could be even just something like diabetes, or maybe you have cardiovascular disease, um, you've had a heart attack or something like that. And something is a respiratory virus, which is highly contagious, um, that you've never been exposed to before and could potentially cause morbidity, mortality. That you have to think about like, well, what's my chances of getting it? Pretty high. Because of my history and my current health status, what's the possibility of me not doing so well, right? So you have to sort of weigh your options um, in terms of that. And, you know, and then the other thing is people worry about risk you know, it, it really depends, again, on the vaccine. There's live vaccines, there's dead vaccines. Now we have the RNA vaccines. Um, very, very, very different. But, um, you know, if we hadn't had vaccines, and most people can, you know, I'm not old enough for this, but I know my, you know, my grandparents, my mother, you know, they had to deal with polio. Now, I will tell you that, you know, we're having outbreaks of polio in the United States. That's ridiculous. The polio vaccine is so safe. It's been around 
what now since the 1950s, I 50s, think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a wonderful vaccine that pretty much eradicated a disease that killed people and disabled people. I mean, it's a no brainer to me. So I, I think that, you know, we just get very like all or none around vaccinations. And I would say for people who think that their immune system is going to handle everything, that's absolutely not true. Um, you will get, if, if, if smallpox was around in the United States, I had smallpox vaccine because I grew up overseas and even the vaccine leaves a scar that's about scar. this big. <laughs> and but then yeah. we found out that measles from like, what was it, Bridges, 60 to 60 like to 62 or 63 to mm-hmm. 69. We, get, we didn't get the, not everyone we may or got may the not. right vaccine. It may not have been the correct vaccine. Right. Um, and those are types of things that people can look into. Um you know, I had to get revaccinated for measles when I was in medical school because my my titer or my level of antibodies was non-existent, even though I had the full series as a child. So, you know, some of these things do wane, um, although they say that, you know, even if you've had, for example, you know, we do see measles outbreaks in certain communities um, around the country from time to time, that if you have normal immunity and you've had the vaccine, most likely you're not going to get it. But if you've never had the vaccine and you have any sort of immune you know, deficiency, there is a great chance that you would get it. I mean, I wouldn't want max measles either. So, yeah. um, you know, so I, I think that there's, there's needs to be more um, sober conversation about. <laughs> My last question is really um, as we get older, how can we, keep our immune system strong? And what are a couple of things you could suggest for our listeners who would like to not necessarily build, but just keep where it's at, not lose yeah. any kind of health? Right. So we talked about, you know, sleep. Obviously, I would say that's probably the most crucial thing. Um, second would be stress would be if you don't, if you feel like your life gets unmanageable and you are burning the candle on both ends and you're, you know, running around and you never give yourself time for self-care and, and, you know, a stress sort of management daily practice, you should do that. Okay. If you feel like you're eating well, wonderful. Um, there are, you can always take extra supplementation of things that can be helpful. So for example, I mentioned vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid. There is some good data for taking it during times of greater stress. We actually deplete our vitamin C when we're stressed because cortisol requires vitamin C in order to be produced. So vitamin C, I'm a big fan of zinc. A lot of people are zinc deficient, vitamin D. Those are all big ones. Um, And then there's some sort of anti-inflammatories that I love. So I love turmeric or curcumin Um, that has a role in inflammation in the body. I really, you know, love using that. Um, So those are some things there. The other thing is you know, and this is like an area I would say that the data is not as robust, but we, we, I think it's an area that's under a lot of study and that is exercise. So daily moderate exercise actually improves and makes your immune system more robust. So people who are sedentary, and when I mean sedentary, I don't mean like you never get up, it could just be like you walk less than 5,000 steps a day. That I consider that to be sedentary. We need to move more. And getting outside and walking or whatever you like to do, I don't care if it's biking, 
dancing, swimming, playing pickleball, whatever, right? Hiking. You have to do something. Humans were meant to move. And part of this is our immune cells move through our circulation, our lymphatics, um, our bloodstream. But we also know that there are, um, you know, we have endorphins that are released during exercise. We um, decrease stress levels when we exercise, if we're doing it moderately and we're having fun. So that actually helps our immune system over time. And also we're oxygenating our body, which we actually need a lot of oxygen in our tissues. That helps our immune system too. So I would say if you're not exercising, start for sure. And where can our listeners find your website? Can you share that with us? And also uh, you could find your where they can find your book as well. Well, the book is available anywhere. Um, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. My website is my practice website, which is www.modecenter.com. We do see some clients in certain states where I'm licensed, and um, we have a practice here in where I live in uh, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, and probably we're the most social on social media on Instagram. So it's at the Immunity MD. So um, we post there um, pretty frequently, and I try to do lives from time to time. And so um, that's probably the best way to to find out what I'm up to. Well, we really recommend the Immunotype Breakthrough book. It, it was so informative. And thank you for taking the time to answer our questions. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I, you know, I love spreading the word about, you know, how the immune system is so important if you want to live a longer, healthier life, you know. Well, that's the plan for all of us. The plan. <laughs> yeah, that's my plan. Thank I you. hope so. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Modet, for being on the show today. That was such a great conversation. The Immunotype Breakthrough. What an important book to read. Get I the book, really recommend guys. It. Get, Get the, the book. book. Go to her website because take that that little questionnaire or the test to find out your immunotype. Um, it was fascinating and it was smoldering because I do have little things. It's like nothing's really impairing me in day-to-day -day life, but I do have high blood pressure. And me too. Lose, Maybe I'm smoldering I can lose some too. weight, you know. So there's little things that are happening um, in my body that really I might need to, you know, I do. I don't might. I do need to pay attention to this. And I think it's very important just to have a really healthy, long life. That these, knowledge these, knowledge is power, guys. And yes, we all is. want to live a healthy lifespan, not just a long lifespan, but a healthy lifespan. Well, we know you guys enjoyed this episode and make sure to check out the book, The Immunotype Breakthrough, Dr. Heather Moday. You can also check out her website. All that information is in our show notes, which are on our website. We also have lots of things on the web website. We have blogs, we have events coming up, we have shopping extravaganza. Uh, we have all of our episodes. So if you go over to hotflasheskooltopics.com, you could spend some time just getting more information because we always say knowledge is power. Community is built from supporting women, supporting women. And that's what we are trying to do on this podcast. So have a wonderful week. Get ready for Menopause Awareness Month. It's starting in October and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.